The solution is we have to bring some merit or some credibility to these arm care programs. Um, they, they, they can't just be these go stretch on your own, or here's a rubber band, here's a dumbbell, go do some strengthening exercises. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be uh, very specific and, and really it needs to be specific to the player. Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear here with Jordan Oseguera and Ryan Croton. And as you may know, Ryan loves to find the latest research out there. Um, we have a few people at, at Arm Care and Crossover Symmetry that are really big into getting the latest research on perf baseball performance, arm care, general shoulder health, everything. And we came across um, a, a great little study uh, that was published um, recently, which was a survey of, of over 600 youth uh, baseball coaches. And we saw some really good findings that we thought the people who listened to this would, would love to hear. So we got a hold of the person who produced it. Um, his name is Kyle Matzel. He was kind enough to come on the, uh, the show with us today, and uh, he's going to talk about it. So um, I'm going to put Kyle's full bio in the show notes um, so you can check it out. But just a quick introduction. Um, Kyle, he earned his doctor of physical therapy from the University of Evansville, uh, currently teaches there, and he's actually the director of university sports physical therapy program there, I believe. Um, also, Kyle's got a PhD from the University of Kentucky, where he studied arm care exercise implementation in adolescent baseball players, which I assume where this, um, a lot of the data that was published in this came from. So, um, Kyle, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself, add anything else there, and then we'll get into the details of, of the research. Yeah, no, great. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you so much, uh, you know, having me on um, for this uh, podcast. It's just truly really an honor. Uh, yeah, no, I think you hit pretty much the highlights. I'm a physical therapist by trade, and I got into academics a few years ago and went down the PhD pathway and really just got into doing arm care. Uh, I really was kind of looking at the research and thinking, man, what can we make the biggest kind of impact in, in, in the profession? And uh, there just really wasn't a whole lot out there on arm care programming, yep. especially at the high school and youth level. So I thought, well, what, what can we do with that? And that's really what got me down, down that path. Cool. So why don't you give a, a general overview of the research you just published that we're talking about? And then I know Ryan's going to pepper you with questions. So uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the survey that we did, it was really just kind of a basis of a start of a dissertation point, right? We, we wanted to kind of phrase what's going on in current practice right now. And um, it, it, it's, we didn't really know if high school coaches or youth coaches or anyone was even, even using arm care. I, mean, I, I think back to, you know, when I was in high school sports and youth sports, it just seemed like the coaches were stretched so thin that, you know, it, it, we didn't really know, they didn't really have a lot of time to dedicate to exercise and strengthening and stretching type of programs. They you know, they have, they have other things they had to get to. So um, we decided, we decided that before we went off, uh, you know, on an exercise intervention study or a screening study, like, let's just see what the current state of arm care is. And uh, so we, we sent out a survey, it was an electronic survey that went out to uh, ended up getting 654 uh, responses back and uh, which was a good number for us. It went all yeah. over the United States and it really gave us some good perspective on what coaches are, are currently doing. Cool. cool. Well, 
Ryan, do you want to ask questions or are we going to go through some of the basic findings? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of, I, I want to kind of mention one of the key findings and, and, and get Kyle's opinion of it. You know, when he was looking at the comprehension of injury risk factors from the lens of the coaches, you know, what they thought were contributing to, to injuries in the game, he had found that only 6% of them a very, very small number actually allocated a risk factor to strength. And I'm curious, uh, you know, Kyle, if, if you have any insights in terms of why you believe that may be. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a really interesting finding. You know, I mean, <laughs> anytime you do research, you know, you always have the thought of the answers to the questions that you ask in the back of your mind. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, if, if there's one thing that high school coaches are, are really good at doing, it's prescribing strengthening and stretching exercises. And so they would value those, uh, you know, exercises well. And, and it's just really not how it panned out. Like the question was really phrased in, you know, the context of given all these risk factors out there, like what do you think is the most uh, significant risk factors associated with development of injury. And yet the coaches really ranked strengthening very far down on the list, regardless of some of the literature that, that is supportive of strengthening as a risk factor. And uh, they ranked uh, things like pitch volume and, uh, you know, fatigue and, uh, and even mobility restrictions a lot higher, which again, in all fairness, those are, those are risk factors as well, but it was really surprising surprisingly just the small proportion of this sample that just clearly just didn't even acknowledge that strength was <laughs> mattered very much. So it, it, it's just, it's just so interesting. And, and I don't know if that's carryover from, um, you know, just other types of programs that they've been experienced to. I know that mobility has been a big push and there's been lots of studies that have been done on stretching and improving range of motion and flexibility. And maybe those are carryover programs that, that, that they've just been accustomed to over the years of coaching and they just follow through with them. Or maybe it's just uh, simply an equipment you know, issue. They didn't have dumbbells and bands and such to utilize, but, um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's really surprising that, that the um, strengthening wasn't a higher up on the list. Cool. So, and I mean, some of that, like you said, has, has value fatigue and the other things, um, but it, clearly there, maybe there's an education factor uh, that, that we need to be focusing on, especially at that level. Um, what were other what were the other surprising findings that, you know, didn't expect going in? I'd say probably one of the more surprising findings was for the coaches that weren't implementing arm care. I mean, I mean, overall, this study was positive towards arm care. I mean, 87% of the coaches that responded said, I'm doing some kind of arm care. Now, you know, maybe it's more of a group standard program. Maybe it's just a little bit of stretching. Maybe it's, you know, a, a little bit of strengthening, whatever it is they're doing, they were doing something. And, and I thought that was, that was interesting in itself because I thought that number was going to be much lower. Uh, I, I was, I would have been happy with 50%, honestly. And, 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 you know, when I saw 87% came back that they're doing arm care, I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is good. That tells me coaches are engaged and they're willing to make time for this. And in fact, it was one of the questions we asked coaches are willing to dedicate 15, 20 minutes of practice time up to three to four times a week uh, to do arm care. So, um, I, I was really surprised by that. And that really bleeds into the, 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 the next big surprise was I thought that for coaches that weren't doing arm care, you know, 
the big reason or the barrier, if you will, was going to be centered around time. Mm -hmm. I don't have the time, you know, it's, I'm, I've got these kids from three to five. Uh, I've got lots of uh, practice. We got to do, we got to get in the cage. We got to throw, we got to do all the drills. I don't have time to, to, to do all these arm care exercises. Um, so we're just gonna have to cut that out. And that really wasn't the case. I mean, the largest factors, the barriers was centered around not seeing kind of the benefit, the fruits of their labor, of their programming, and uh, and just not having enough uh, staff to assist. Uh, and, and that's really an interesting point because it, it makes me start thinking about, okay, these coaches want to do this, right? They, they're, they're willing to dedicate practice time. They're willing to do something. Maybe they haven't had um, – major positive breakthroughs and in seeing injury risk reduction or performance enhancement with their programs are doing currently yet, but they're willing to learn and develop those programs. So I, I think it's overall very positive. And, and just to clarify, the vast majority of respondents were at the high school level coaches. Yeah. These, these primarily went out to high school coaches. We, uh, we, we tried to narrow that focus a little bit. There, there's been some other data that's been done in college and, and high school yep. or college and uh, professional players. The, not a whole lot centered around coaches in general, but we really wanted to be as homogenous as possible and just see at the high school level with these programs that maybe don't have athletic trainers, they don't have physical therapists, they don't have all these uh, resources on, on, uh, <laughs> in their back pocket. Um, what do they think about arm care? And that was really the population we were targeting. Cool. Jordan, um, I mean, you spent some time at the collegiate level. Did any of this surprise you or do you have any questions? I mean, it's not that shocking considering when I would recruit guys, I would, I would always want to find out what is your routine, especially if I'm going to be giving that pitcher money from a scholarship standpoint, you know, you're going to have to coach guys, but if you're giving someone money, you're going to, you're really hoping their routine is there with it. And almost all my high school kids that were transferring in or not transferring, but were coming in, not as transfers, didn't know what they were doing. It was almost just like, well, you know, my arm care routine was, I, I, I did this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's, that's what you're talking about. Right. And a lot of them just don't have that context of what it is, but again, you know, reading, reading the information that we were going over with you, man, over the last couple of weeks, and we've had some fantastic conversations between uh, yourself, Ryan, Bart, and I that have been really, really fascinating. And that's why I'm glad we have you on the, on, the, on the podcast, that you give a lot of context to some of the confusion that I had when I was recruiting guys. And then also a lot of the confusion me and Ryan had when we would call these players on draft day. We get this 17-year-old in, and we're asking them what their general, you know, what, what do you normally do for your arm care so we can best accommodate you in a pro ball setting? And it's the same thing. Oh, well, I did this and I did this, you know, so <laughs> and, the pro guys for those are listening, for those listening, he's just doing basically worthless stress stretching of his arm right there. That's all he's doing. So, well, you know, and again, I think it's such a valid point because, you know, it, it kind of plays into the 41% of these coaches that aren't doing arm care say the biggest reason is they're not seeing the fruits of their labor. They're see, they see no benefit in the program. So these are coaches that maybe got good education, got it, went through, had good mentorship or are good coaches. And they, they, they're passed down maybe a, a, an arm care program that has <laughs> a lot to, uh, to, 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 um, 
be worked on, you know, and they're doing just some basic stretches or just telling the players, just, Hey, just go stretch on your own or, or whatever. And there's not really a whole lot of structure or a whole lot of individualization to it. And then they're surprised when the players get hurt or have soreness or have to set out and miss time. And, and, and I think they, they see that year in and year out and they think, well, I'm doing an arm care program and it's not working. So let's just cut that 15, 20 minutes out and focus more on the sport specific uh, training. That's what the coaches are good at anyway, and what they would like to get to. So it, it doesn't, it, you're right. It, it just, it, it seems like it makes a, a lot of sense. So really the, the solution in, 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 in my opinion, the solution is we have to bring some merit or some credibility to these arm care programs. Um, they, they, they can't just be these go stretch on your own, or here's a rubber band, here's a dumbbell, go do some strengthening exercises. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be uh, very specific and, and really it needs to be specific to the player. Um, there's, there's so many risk, uh, risk factors. I mean, and again, throw out all the volume related risk factors. You know, we know kids are throwing too much. We know kids are playing year round. We know what that's a factor. Sure. Get it. Absolutely. But Let's think about just the musculoskeletal risk factors or just the physical risk factors, the, the GERD, the total arc of motion, the strength, the ERIR ratios, the T-spines, the hips, whatever. I mean, this the things physically that are modifiable with exercise and training. I mean, you have literally lots of different combinations. So if you give players just the same stuff, a group standard group program, say, hey, everyone do these five exercises. You're going to hit some people where they need to be hit, but you're going to miss a lot of people. And, and I think that's why with most standardized arm care, pro, or well, of the three uh, standardized arm care programs that have intervention that are, exists in the literature right now, you see at best about a, just under 50% uh, reduction in injury incidents. And it's because, again, at the same time, we're still guessing and we need a way to not guess. I, I have a, a follow-up question. It's kind of, I guess, a two-point question because like Bart mentioned earlier before we all started recording, sometimes I can I can ramble. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first question is, obviously, I remember we were talking about maybe two weeks ago, somewhere in that time frame, you were talking about injuries of the knee, specifically mm-hmm. in soccer players. And they were putting out these you know general programs. 50% were dead on. And then the other 50%, it may or not have worked. And that's kind of what I saw when I was first getting into collegiate baseball and coaching in collegiate baseball is I would put out a general arm care program, a general strength program in my first year, 50% of my guys got way better. 25% got a little worse and 25% stayed the exact same. So like 50%, I was hitting the bullseye and then there was a quarter and a quarter that were just not even close. And once I started dialing in for the individual, that's when I started increasing that 50% to 60 and then to 65 and then to 70 um, and that's kind of my first question. I think that's what you're saying with individualization. Yeah. Um, and then my second question is, you know, we, we obviously are looking at an increase in injury year to year. Injuries are not getting better there. And like you said, it was a less than, I think you said less than 50%. I don't want to take you out of context on that of yeah. injury sure. reduction. 40, 40, we can, we can cite it specifically if you want 40, 48 and a half and 49.2% injury reduction. And, and it's, yeah. it's, 
So Perfect. just south of 50%. Yeah. So less than 50%. Just like you said, I wanted to be 100% clear. I don't say something yep. wrong there. Because yep. ADD, again, I'm a pitching coach. The attention span's not always there. <laughs> but the big point is everyone looks to pitch counts. Everyone work, looks to workload. And there's so much strict guidance on these workloads. And you know, the each state has their own recommendations for high school players. And if those were a bulk of the problem solving, wouldn't we see a reduction? That's one of my, that's my follow-up question. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the context of what I should be asking, but does my question make sense? It, it does. It does. But I think what you're laying out is just the, the problem that we've really ran into for really the last 20, 25 years, right? It, it's kind of the, um, you know, we can go all the way back to, you know, the nineties and, and say, oh yes, you know, volume and workload and pitch counts. And, and that's, that's the root of all evil. And, and there was been a lot of great work by a lot of great, you know, professionals that have published studies specific to that. So I don't want to discredit that, but if that was all there was to it, if, 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 if that was the whole piece of the pie, then yeah, the injuries would be declining and things would be getting better. And we would be figuring that out. It's just, and it's easy just to say, oh, well, they're just, they're just still not following those guidelines. And, and there's probably some truth to that. But where I think of it, and this is where my mind goes, is the world is far too complex to blame a singular thing. Or, you know, we just we can never just say, it's oh, it's just because they're throwing too much. Like there are, you know, some kids that throw a ton and they do fine, you know, and they're very durable. And, and so it's like, well, what's different about those kids? Well, I start thinking about, well, let's say they're a highly trained, uh, you know, a sports car, you know, you're a Ferrari going down the road at, you know, 80 miles an hour, you know, but you've got two flat tires. I mean, it, eventually you're going to have a problem. Something's going to blow somewhere in that, in that car and you're going to have a, have an issue. And I think that's what's happening with the kids these days. And, you know, whether I say kids, I mean, youth, high school, college, professional, the players, they are, going out there and putting a lot of high volume, high intensity, high performance on top of a lot of physical and musculoskeletal deficits. And whether that's strength, range of motion, whether that's shoulder, whether that's somewhere else, but they're there and it's causing increased stress and they're breaking down. So you put a lot of volume on some flat tires, you're asking for, you're asking for a big, big time problem. I really like that volume compared to flat tires analogy. That makes a ton of sense for me. One of the things actually, you know, Kyle, I want to ask you about the research that that people might not know is that you found some inconsistencies with coaching experience. Hmm. And in terms of individualization, I know we've been on that topic of of trying to meet the the needs of the athlete with objective data. And that's one of the things that our arm care device does is provide the objective data of how the athlete's performing. Um, But, but what would you think in terms of the, the health outcomes that could occur in association to coaching experience. I know there wasn't any kind of study directly related to that, um, but, you know, kind of looking at your research, would, would you say that there is some, there could be a potential discrepancy between, you know, now we know that this older generation of coaching, and I forget how many years of experience um, has this understanding of individuality versus the new coach you know, and now it kind of brings us up to a level of where we might need to focus more education and resources toward. Yeah, no, it, great point. And this, again, this is one of the other kind of things in, in, in this survey that was surprising to me a little bit um, was that we asked the question of, do we think that 
implementation of arm care exercises, specifically implementation of more an individualized or player specific arm care uh, regiment is related to coaches age or coaching experience level, or even their educational status. And again, my knee jerk reaction with it was, oh yeah, these, these younger coaches that uh, are, um, you know, have hired education levels, uh, they're going to be the ones that are really trying to shift this paradigm, if you will. And it couldn't have been more, more of the opposite. It was coaches that were over the age of 40 years old, who had been coaching for at least six years. So it was over six years of coaching experience were much more likely to individualize their arm care programs versus coaches that were younger and less experienced. So again, that's just so shocking to me. And I, and, and I start thinking about that. I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I just can't believe that that's true. Why, why does that make sense? And what I kept coming back to as I was talking with coaches in the community was that these coaches that are older, a little more experienced, they've, you know, tried standard arm care. They've tried the go stretch and go strengthen on your own and not been very specific and not tailored it to the needs of the players. And they've failed. They've been very unsuccessful with that approach. And so they said, well, we, we live and learn. And we now need, we now know that we need to dose these exercises more appropriately. And we need to really target the risk factors that each individual player has, because that could be different from player A to player B. And that's why they're finding more success. To give some personal context on that, you know, when I first got into coaching and, you know, Bart's heard me say it before. One of the good things about sucking at baseball is you get into coaching at a young age. So you learn all those lessons when you're, when you're younger than everybody else. Uh, But what I did when I first started coaching in a team atmosphere was I took what I did. It's like, well, this kept me healthy. So this, must work for everybody, you know, and you roll out the blanket statement. That's where, you know, you're 50% on with some and you're missing the mark with the others. But as you start figuring out each person is an own, is their own individual. That's where you really have to dial in on that specific level for each player. And you start learning as you're going. And, you know, one of my old mentors always uses the term old age and treachery is going to beat youth and exuberance any day of the week. And that's just the experience factor of it. And the more experience you have, the more time in the trenches you have, the more you learn what doesn't work. And do you think based on my, you know, anecdotal experience from that, that that could play a factor that these younger coaches or even a player who's in their forties and they're just getting into coaching because they're just finishing their playing career. They've always been programming for one player. They've been programming for them. So once they have to program for the team, is it kind of that fail safe you think to always go to, well, this is what worked for me. So even taking age out of it, but just looking at, coaching, coaching age. I know Ryan talks about training age. We're going to say coaching. I'm coining that term. Can we get, can we coin that Bart? How do we patent coaching age? I'll get um, thanks. So we'll, we'll say coaching age is, you know, under that six year mark and they're still learning how to take what they did and apply it on an individual sense to someone who's different. Do you think that could factor into that at all? Or did I just go on my, my rant again? No, I think it's a valid point. I, you know, I think that, you know, I think inherently it's human nature to, to look in, look internally first and say, well, this is what has worked for me. So therefore that has merit and that has validity to it. Therefore, let me see if I can apply that same standard to a group and see if I get similar results. And, and again, that's, that's, that's all fine and good to, as a start, you know, something is better than nothing. Right. But, um, I think the problem you run that player runs into is they forget 
that they were a player for from youth through high school, through college, through maybe even professional. And there was a lot of time in there that they figured out, made adjustments, uh, changed exercises, changed uh, uh, their training load and adapted the program that they finally landed on that worked best for them. So really, in a sense, they're their own end of one from an individualized approach. You know, they didn't just take a program that was given to them and then just followed it for 20 years. They, uh, they adapted exercise and training based off their needs that came up throughout their playing career. And that's, and that's the whole reason that we were going to individualize in the first place is to measure the, the current deficits as they present in the player today, and then change those. And because those might be different a month from now, and we're going to change those. And, and, And I think that's inherently what players do but then when they try to roll it out to everyone they're frustrated because half of the people they get some reduction of 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 injury incidents or some improvement and the other half that's not what they needed at all (laughs) you know and that's and then and that lands us back to the research whether you're looking at a fifa 11 plus for acl injury prevention or even the arm care programs that are out there in existence today we're always landing around 50 percent i just think we can do better than that yeah and then you know, Ryan, you might have a little more context on this too, but I think one of the key things he said was it could be different a month from now. And we've had some cool opportunities, me and Ryan, to talk to some different sports, kind of the industry leaders. And, you know, we're talking to some rugby play uh, coaches, some rugby trainers, you know, cricket trainers. You know, one of my favorite was we got to talk to some hockey guys. You know, they're just a lot tougher than baseball players normally in general. And you hear the way that they're individualizing to get these guys, you know, skating speed or to get them back to full sprint speed. And they're testing all the time. They're constantly looking into these things because for a high performance level, you can't just hit the bull, bullseye 50% of the time or you don't make the postseason and everyone gets fired, you know, as opposed to, you know, the, the less competitive the level is, maybe that blanket program's okay. But as you get to a higher performance level, you have to be on the bullseye. You can't just be hitting the tar- uh, hitting the paper, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to jump in on that because what Kyle said was very, very impactful, um, where he didn't realize, you know, that time um, wasn't going to be a factor. And we're talking about training, but we need to be able to allocate time to observation. You see, the, the thing that we really want to do with, with our technology is to bridge the gap between clinical care and coaching. And... Um, I think it's it's of the essence that we do build in time and we're, we're taking up minimal time to be able to observe an athlete, but that needs to be done. I remember our, um, our GM who was with the Angels, Billy Epler, he'd always say it you know, best. He said, you either pay now or you pay later. And I, I think that's something that uh, you know, has to be said for in the, in the industry is that you know, you know, given that there's all this technology, there's so much technology in, in this day and age and, and, you know, talking to all these leaders in other sports, they have access to just about everything, you know, and, and depending on um, their budgets at, at professional levels, they, they can measure everything. Um, but, you know, they need to have the time to observe and th- they can't miss observation windows, you know? And so, uh, you know, some, some of the, the college co- the college programs that we talk about, they have their own medical staff. But I think when it comes to the coaching community, the guys that have their own facilities, you know, they don't have all these uh, particular uh, opportunities to rely on people. We need to find a way to give them more opportunity to screen. 
I don't know if you, you know, your thoughts on that, Kyle, in terms of the, these differences between the, the clinical realm and the coaching world, but I believe we need to find a way to come together. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, you know, here, the other interesting kind of tidbit that came from this survey paper was when asked coaches, who has, who plays the greatest role in injury prevention? Just a simple question. And we gave them some options. We said parents, players, medical staff, which we, you know, defined as MDs, PT, ATC. Um, they, the coaches said, you know, 57% of those coaches said, Hey, it's on us. It's on, it's on the coaches, the coaches. It's they, they, they think it's their territory. They think it's their responsibility that they know the players, the best that they know the baseball uh, strategy, the best that really these injuries that are developing in their kids and keeping them healthy, they own that. And so I see, I look at that and I say, beautiful, like you don't want to pass this off. Like, I mean, you, how easy is that to pass blame? Right. You could you could totally say, oh, well, it's because I don't have a medical staff or, oh, the parents aren't aren't aren't, uh, you know, on their kids about doing this stuff. But they didn't do that. They're like, no, we own this. It's us. So let's empower the coach. And, I, and that's where I love about screening and, and, and testing and, and certainly making things, you know, field expedient and um, accessible to them to let them build in some of that 15, 20 minutes that they're willing to spend during practice time. Part of that's testing, part of that screening, but that actually makes your exercises more effective and more efficient. And like you said, you pay, pay a little bit up front in time, but you get a lot more bang for your buck down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I can only imagine if I surveyed or I got responses from 650 plus coaches, I don't know how many you actually sent out going through all of those. I'm sure there's a question here or there that you'd wished, oh man, I wish I could ask that or I could turn around and hit send and respond to them, you know, reply to them again. What, what would you ask now after seeing all these responses? Wow. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I would ask them how effective they felt that their arm care programs were, you know, because when I saw the information that was, it was like, Hey, the 41% of these coaches that aren't doing it, they don't see the benefit. I'd love to like turn that back around on the majority of the folks, you know, the, the 87% that said that, that they were doing arm care. I wish I would have asked the question of, you know, if you are doing arm care, like how effective do you think this is? Like, do you, do, what are you, what are you seeing? Are you think, do you still see a high rate of injury loss like or do you feel like your program is very effective and like I, I would like to quantify it a little bit because even coaches that are doing standard like salt pretty solid you know current current level um what i would call the, the current state of practice uh, arm care programming you know they still may not be very happy with that right? Uh, I, I asked in the survey, I, I asked the question about screenings particularly. And I said, you know, if you were had the opportunity to do some testing or screening that you could do on the field in a time efficient manner, would that be interesting? Would you be interested in that in using that to inform your arm care? And 70% said, yeah, that they would. <laughs> so the, the need is out there. Coaches want to own this. Coaches want to solve this. They want help rehabilitation providers and strength and conditioning coaches can come together and collaborate with these baseball coaches. And if we can get them something to where they can test and assess and individualize 
their programming that doesn't take up a ton of time. Oh my gosh. You know, honestly, I mean, that's what, and it's what I love about the work that you guys are doing and, and the approach that you're making, because it's just, this is hitting coaches right where they want to be hit. Um, and, and, and I think it's the, the benefit, the, the winner of this is the players and, and how, how beautiful is that scenario? Absolutely. All right, Ryan, I know two weeks ago, when this email came across my desk saying, Hey, you got to check out this study. We, we got to talk to talk to Kyle and get this stuff. You were really excited. This is your chance. What else, what else do you want to pick Ryan and pick Kyle's brain about? Yeah, no, I just, you know, just kind of, we've, we've nailed some of the really key points, but the, the one thing I want to say is that Kyle's very unique um, in that the study of arm care is minuscule compared to everything. It, it is, it is unbelievable to me that we focus more on biomechanical research, you know, and I'm a biomechanist. I say it all the time. We're focusing so much on movement science and we're forgetting about the internal world of training the body. And so when, when this research article came up and I, and I, I saw it, I was just amazed. I'm like, nobody has looked at this and nobody's looked at it from a coaching lens and to hear all, you know, that, that they're the gatekeepers. Now, it's so different across levels. You know, if maybe you went to college or you went to a pro level. Maybe they say, well, all that health stuff is on the medical staff or the strength staff. You know, they're dealing with the body. I'm not, that's not my area of concern. And so reading um, Kyle's message, it's just so profound that our coaches, the ones that are on field, you know, feel so tightly wound to the well-being of their players it's amazing. I have never read something like that. And, and, and Kyle's also put out another article um, that is a, that's a review paper. So, you know, not only did he do this analysis, this original research looking at, uh, you know, the coaching attitudes um, and, and thought processes towards arm care, but he's also scoured the literature for everybody, you know, to see. Um, and I think what we should be doing is putting links up to, uh, to, to those particular papers and abstracts, because if you haven't read them, you should, there, there's just not enough out there. There's not enough research out there. And he's, he's pointing to the direction that research has to go. We need to do individualization type research to see what are the objective criteria and how do we go about solving those deficiencies for each individual player. Now, the other thing that Kyle's involved in, and, and you know, he's a humble guy, he's not really talking about it, but you know, MLB uh, Combine is very interested in this guy um, as far as, you know, where where they're going. And uh, I see this Combine process that MLB has of giving information back to the athlete. And I see the component that he wants to put in is to really identify any any type of movement dysfunction. Because now when, they, when the athlete comes in there, you know, they're walking out from these experiences, uh, getting an indication of what they need to work on. You know, and there's just so many kids that are walking around there and we haven't scoured enough literature and we haven't done enough studies to really know how to improve them. You know, he said it best. There are three arm care uh, programs that have really been studied. And, you know, the first arm care program that I have ever read about, it's still kind of in existence today, which is crazy. It was in 1982. It's a few years after I was born. They put that together. Now, shoulder injuries, they improved but you see all these elbow injuries on the rise. So, you know, seeing Kyle's work, it's like, man, like we, we need to adapt. We need to get better at this, you know, and, and we need to focus on 
you know, strength. This is a real big gap that we don't know. So, you know, just when I got that art, the, the articles, and I started digging a little bit deeper into Kyle, it was just a, a blessing, you know, because we were waiting for a messenger outside of us that um, can really express, you know, the apparent need that we need to do better in the, in the field of arm care. Well, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's just, that's, that's, um, you know, I, I think that we share a lot of the same ideals and like-mindedness, you know, with, we see a big problem and a big hole, you know, that's when you do, when you go through a PhD training, you know, they always ask you like, identify a big gaping, you know, hole in the, in the, in the literature and see if you can fill in that hole. And I mean, this was not so much a hole as it was, a, you know, a crater, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's just, it was so, so surprising that, in, especially in all sports of baseball, like basically almost analytical and, and data driven, you know, sport there is that we were operating the injury prevention programs based off really nothing. And, 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 and that's, that was just so scary to me. And I think this is the, definitely the start of um, really putting this to bed a little bit of really starting to now turn the corner on the epidemic of UCL reconstructions and, and, and these players that go down with a shoulder injury and never come back. I mean, 22% of big league pitchers, they don't come back after they have a shoulder surgery. I mean, you, you go, you tear, you tear up your rotator cuff and you, you're not coming back. And, um, and that's, that's sad. You know, it's like, we gotta, we gotta be better than that. And, and as a physical therapist, you know, that's, I, you know, I own that and we've, we've got to be better across the board, but this can't be a physical therapy solution. This can't be an athlete training solution. This can't be a strength coach solution. It's really got to be a whole team solution. And once everyone's on the same page, reading the, the objective data that applies to that player standing in front of you and working on those uh, milestones and those landmarks, that's when we'll start actually seeing uh, things get better. Absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree more. We're definitely going to provide some links in the, in the show notes here. Um, you know, I'm not a PhD uh, but even so just take some time, go read, you know, go check these things out. If you've got questions, Hey, send them to us. Um, if we can't answer them, we'll get them to Kyle, but we'd love to answer them here right on the podcast as well. Um, you know, you, it's, it's not going to hurt and you're going to, you're going to learn a lot about where we are and, uh, and where we, where we could get to, uh, with arm care. Um, so unless someone's got something else, I'm going to wrap it up here, Kyle, thank you so much um, for your time. Uh, really enjoyed it. I think this was uh, was something worth worth listening to for sure. And uh, take care. Yep. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.